Welcome to the Inside Slant Podcast. Inside Slant Podcast. Brought to you by JayhawkSlant.com. Shay, where do you rank Bill Self's class? It's definitely one of the top 10 classes in the country. Bringing you all the latest info from the coaches, players, and recruits. Kirby, how big is this commitment? Well, he's the type of recruit that can change the whole class. For all of the latest KU news, analysis, and discussion, go online to JayhawkSlant.com. The online leader in recruiting and team coverage. Here's the staff from JayhawkSlant.com. Hey, everybody, this is Randy Withers. Welcome into another edition of the Inside Slant podcast from JayhawkSlant.com. It's the first edition of the new year, the first episode of 2024. We hope everybody had a great holiday season and a happy and healthy start to the new year. We're going to talk some men's basketball, Kansas football, recruiting. We're going to get into some NIL talk, something everybody needs to know more about. One of the hottest topics going right now in college sports. For that, we're going to be joined by Mitt Winter. Mitt is an NIL attorney and literally one of the leading experts on the topic right now. Before we get into all that, let me go ahead and welcome in my boys. First off, on the men's basketball beat, my buddy Shea Wildebor. Shea, happy new year. How are you? Oh, man, I'm not ready to be back on the grind, but here we are, man. I'm good. It was a good Christmas. It didn't last long enough, but uh, I'm glad to be back, back in the office and uh, get this Big 12 season going. It's, it's, time, it's that time of year. It is. It is. I am so excited. It's, <laughs> it's ready to kick this thing off. And, I mean, it's crazy to think it's NFL playoff time. College basketball is about to hit conference season, which is when everything starts to matter. There is, you know, even with it being after the holidays, people talk about that lull. There's going to be so much going on to keep us busy. Part of that, too, is everything going on with Stadium Project, NIL, the portal, everything Kansas football. Along those lines, let me bring in my man, John Kirby, the publisher of Jayhawk Slant and the guy on the Kansas football beat. John, happy new year to you. Happy New Year, fellas. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, hey, do you get some time off? And I'm going, God, with the, with the transfer portal and NIL, which we'll hear from Mitt here in a little bit. He's, he's phenomenal, and he's going to get into some stuff. Man, there is no time off with the transfer portal and NIL. And, you know, these coaches only get, get uh, you know, three or four days off after the bowl. And, I mean, they're sitting there, you know, looking at transfer portal guys when they're out trying to get time off and looking at film. It's it's crazy, man. There is just no time to to relax. And, and I got to tell you something, too. You know, Randy, the ever-changing conferences and realignment, and obviously we got four more new Big 12 schools coming in next year. I, I, I'm w- With football, the actual season over, I'm actually getting into a little basketball, starting to try to pay atten- pay attention to that, and I pulled up the Big 12 schedule for like the next week or so. Mm-hmm. And, and and I'm sure Shay's the same way. It just feels so weird to see like uh, Central Florida at K-State or BYU at Cincinnati. It's still, it's, it's still a, like an adjustment to look at these schedules and see all the, the new matchups on there. It's just crazy. Oh, yeah. No question. I mean, that's the thing. We're going to see so many teams for the first time here over the next few months. And and it's it is, you know, part of the changing landscape of college sports. And 
you know, that's it's such a great time to have Mitt Winter coming on to talk about NILs because that's such a huge piece of it. You know, talking about college basketball, let me go ahead. I'm going to bring in Shay. Let's just jump right into this, Shay. Jayhawks are sitting at number two in the nation already. Big 12 play, getting ready to crank up this weekend. Give me your thoughts on on how Bill Self's squad has started the season and, and what sticks out to you from what you've seen from them so far. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a great preseason. You know, you go through, you lose one game. Um, you have some really big wins. You know, you hand Connecticut their only loss. And I think they'd won like 24, 25 straight Um you know, games like by, I don't know the whole stats, but by double digits. And, you know, that you think about that tournament run they had. And, you know, they go to Indiana and win, um, which turned out to be a really big win. Uh, you, you beat Kentucky, you're down double digits. You know, you, you really handle the Wichita State team after being tied 14-14. El Marco goes on that 7-0 run. I think you end the first half on a 29-13 a run. So, yeah, Big 12. You know, Randy, this this team, I'm, I, I don't know. And as strange as it sounds, I don't know what the identity is. I mean, I know you've got guys, um, you know, you got two guys averaging about 40 points in Kevin McCuller and um, Hunter Dickinson. Um, you know, you've got a guy averaging double figures in, in KJ Adams. But I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, you, you look and say, well, how's this team going to score if the, if the shots aren't falling? And then you turn around and you see against Wichita State, I think Kevin was 10 of 10 from the free throw line, and I believe he was the leading scorer or one of the two leading scorers. Um. Yeah, so I, I want to know what this team is going to look like when they're not hitting shots, when they're on the road, you know, when they face a little adversity and how they respond. I mean, I think we saw it, how they did it at Indiana. Um, you know, they, we saw how they responded against Kentucky. Um, you know, but Big 12 plays a little bit different. Wherever they go, it doesn't matter when, where, why, or how, they're going to have a target on their back. And if they're not playing their best, how will they respond? Um, there's no doubt in my mind that Bill is the best coach in college basketball. So I know he's going to have his adjustments and he'll make, um, uh, you know, halftime changes and, and whatever needs to happen. But, you know, at the end of the day, when this team is struggling and the shots aren't falling um, and other teams scoring, how are they going to respond? And to me, that's that's going to be the biggest challenge. And so far they've done it. I mean, they've gotten to the free throw line. They, you know, they've struggled from three but hit timely shots. You know, Hunter's maybe struggled one half and really put it together the other. But I'm waiting to see this team hit full stride. And when that happens, I think this is going to be uh, a team that has a chance to make a really deep run in March, assuming they can put everything together. You know, we have well, where's Nick Timberlake? You know, we haven't seen Nick yet. Um, you know, we've seen flashes of Nick um, off and on, you know, flashes of Johnny Furphy. Um, you know, how, how's the bench going to produce? So I still think a lot of questions remain unanswered as Big 12 play starts. You know. With the squad starting Big 12 play, looking at the week ahead, you know, we've got TCU at home. Then, you know, John mentioned it, these trips that we're just not used to. Kansas heads to Central Florida for the first time, and then they'll come back to the field house to take on Oklahoma in the Sooners last year in the Big 12 conference. It still feels so weird to say weird. that. What are you looking for in those first three games, and what do you think they need to do to get off to a good start? they need to punch people in the mouth. You know, I, I don't know if you guys remember last year's TCU game, 83 to 60 TCU came in here and hammered Jay Kansas. I mean, absolutely hammered. It was never a game. I think it was tied. I think Bill said yesterday, 11, 11 or 12, 12. And then TCU just completely outclassed Kansas. Uh, this is going to be a year. And Bill said it yesterday. It's going to be the toughest year to win the big 12. I mean, it's going to be harder than it ever has before. Kansas needs to set the tone early. You need to play 
um, for the name that's on the front of your jersey, not on the back. I know that sounds cliche-ish. I know uh, faces change, expectations remain the same. I know they've said that for years and years, but they need to play like that. You know, TCU is going to come in here with a ton of confidence. Um, you know, they're going to come in here knowing they can win. How does Kansas respond? You know, you can get a big win, go on the road, um, you know, face a team that you're not familiar with, um, face a team that's probably, I'm guessing, going to have a sellout crowd, face a team that's going to want to, um, you know, make a statement early in Big 12 play. you got to come out and punch them in the mouth. You know, you come home and play, play a really big Oklahoma team that's, that's off to a fast start. You know, I think, Randy, I think they were predicted. I, don't, I need to go back and look near the bottom of the league in Big 12 play, and they're one of the top teams in Big 12. So you come home, you play a team that knocked you, knocked you in the mouth last year, you go on the road to Florida and place an environment that you've never seen before, and then you come home and face one of the surprising teams in the Big 12. So I think Kansas needs to come out and get, get off to a fast start. We've seen a lot of slow starts recently with this team where you know they get behind by double digits or they just kind of struggle to get going, um, you know, come out of the gate struggling. I think the next three games, what they need to do, if, if, they, if they're serious about winning this conference, you know, you got to hold serve at home and you got to steal a few on the road. And they've got an opportunity to do that for the first three games. Hold serve at home against TCU and Oklahoma. Go out and win one on the road and make a statement and get off to a fast start. That, to me, that's going to be the biggest key. Hunter Dickinson, no doubt, was the, the top transfer in the transfer portal. He needs to play like it. Kevin McCullough came back for a reason, to win a championship. He's got a chance to lead Kansas um, to lead Kansas to that dream. You, you got guys like Nick Timberlake, Johnny Furphy, guys that can hit shots, Dewan Harris. It's time for those guys, you know, a lot of those younger guys are no longer freshmen, they're sophomores, so it's time for them to kind of start playing like it. What's the latest on the recruiting trail, Shay, and, and who are some of the top names that you're tracking at this point for this program? Okay, right now we got a big one, and uh, Darren Peterson, um, he just recently, now here's the thing, Randy, you guys are going to be talking about NIL. So there's a kid, excuse me, Darren Peterson, a six foot five, 195 pound shooting guard from Huntington Prep, Andrew Wiggins territory. Okay. Prep school. Um, <laughs> excuse me. He's down to Kansas, Kentucky, Baylor, Ohio State, Indiana, North Carolina, Arkansas, and Michigan. Big list, eight schools. Um, he's going to officially visit Kansas at some point. Okay. The deal is he plays for an Adidas exclusive AAU team, and I believe I have this right. He's the first player to sign an NIL deal with Nike, or excuse me, with Adidas of its kind. Hmm. Um, so That's you, intriguing. Right. <laughs> Number three-ranked player in America can, can score. I mean, you guys, he, he's literally the best of the best in the class. Um, you know, I believe, if I remember this correctly, Indiana is the only other Adidas team on his list. Um, you know, I know Kansas is very sitting very well with this kid. I mean, he's going to visit, obviously. And, Randy, you know what? There are things, and, and I've learned this, and I've learned sometimes it's better not to say anything than to say, act like you know. There are things that go on behind the scenes that you and I will never know. I mean, ju just things that happen with these things. Oh, so of I course. Think, um, yeah, and, and I'm not saying good, bad, right? I mean, just saying things that there's conversations that happen. There's NIL deals that happen, um, things that happen. So I think with his, his, his agreement with Adidas, being that Kansas is an Adidas school, I think it's sitting very, very favorably for Kansas, um, you know, and, and I'll leave it at that right now. I mean, I just I think that Kansas is putting in a ton of work. And, um, you know, I think obviously to Adidas, if you're if you if you have an NIL deal with Adidas, Adidas wants to see you stay with an Adidas school. Obviously, Kansas fits that bill. You know, if we want to get down to brass tacks, really the number one team overall in, in wins. I know they had to take some back. Um, so number two, technically. But I mean, you know, 17 to 20 Big 12, Nash Big 12 championships they won. Uh, two national championships, probably could have had a third in 2020. You know, they've got another shot this year. I'm not sure there's another coach in college basketball 
that is at hit the level that Bill Self is right now. So I think when you put everything together and that he's with Adidas, um, yeah. I mean, you know, Bryson Tiller visited a few weeks ago from Overtime Elite, uh, a six foot, um, you know, you know, a six foot eight guy um, that has a chance to be a really, really, really good player. Um, I'm sorry, six nine uh, from out Overtime Elite. Atlanta, Georgia is another guy you're um, focusing on. You know, and, and people continue to talk about the Boozer brothers. Um, you know, they say that they want to visit. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. I think if your last name Boozer, you end up a Duke, um, you know, yes. but they want to get out, take some visits. And um, so, yeah, so, I mean, and here's the thing that I'll continue to say, Randy. To me, the biggest thing moving forward will be the transfer portal. Obviously, you're going to bring in high school guys year in and year out. But I think until this staff knows, you know, I thought a year ago that El Marco Jackson was going to leave. And I'm not so sure that's going to happen now. So maybe you have a spot already lined up for him now to stay. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with Hunter. Um, you know, you've already got Flory on, Flory uh, Bedinga on involved. Um, you know, you've got two guys um, signed that are really having phenomenal years. So, um, you know, I think the transfer portal will always be the big thing. And then bring in some high school guys year in and year out and see what happens. That's our man, Shea Wildeboer on the men's basketball beat. Shea, thank you very much for joining us. Happy New Year. We'll talk with you again soon. All right, you guys have a good day, man. I'll talk with you again soon. That's Shea Wildeboer. Checking in for Kansas men's basketball ahead of the start of the Big 12 slate. Now bringing in my man, John Kirby. John, Jayhawks win their first bowl game since 2008 to cap off a nine-win season. Pretty good year for the Jayhawks, especially in your third year under your head coach, Lance Leipold. And the win against UNLV was pretty impressive. It was, Randy. I mean, what a great season, right? I mean, it, listen, 2022, you know, Leipold leads them to six wins in a bowl game, and now they elevate to nine wins. I don't think any Kansas fan, realistically, right? I mean, you always want to be optimistic, and you always have the people that say, oh, I think Leipold can turn this around quick. But in the back of your mind, you're always like, okay, let's be real. I don't know that anybody would have sat here and said, you know, you're going to have 15 wins in seasons two and three with, with a bowl win. That's about as good as you can ask for. And I've got to tell you, I was down at the bowl game. What a crazy game that was. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it with you. So what I do, Randy, if I can, and the room permits, um, and I told Matt Tate, just move your butt over a little bit to the right. So, so Tate sat next to me to the right <laughs> And I had my second monitor set up that I hooked to my computer. And I like mm -hmm. to do this because when you're watching the game live, you don't get to see every play. So I like to try to – my monitor is always on about a 20-second delay. So I like nice. to look back at the monitor on the replay to see what you can see. So we're sitting there, and they're just throwing these flags left and right. I mean, penalties are coming out of nowhere. So I'm sitting there with Tate. And I got I got my man Joe Blake to the left of me, but my screen's on the right. Tate and I keep looking at the replay to see, okay, what was the penalty here? But they're not showing mm -hmm. the replay. So yep. I mean, it was it was one of the damnedest things I'd ever seen. So I didn't get to hear the broadcast. And then I'll tell you another thing that that, that was wild. Being being there at the bowl game, we were right on top of the UNLV band. So, I, I mean, it felt like a home game to UNLV sitting in the press box. And then we were, because it's a baseball stadium. So the way that the field was set up, we were in the end zone. When you watch a game from the end zone, like when it's third and two and there's a running play and it's close, you have no idea 
whether the guy got it or not, because you in a normal press box, you're sitting around the 50 yard line and you can see the sideline marker. So it, it was definitely a different experience being there. But um, listen, the KU offense was really good. I mean, the Jason Bean, the the, the receivers, it, it so good. And Jason Bean, what a great way for him to end his career that, you know, at this time last year, people didn't think Jason Bean was going to be in the program. All right, people thought he was gone. Him, oh, com- yeah. him coming back is probably the biggest thing to happen to that program. KU doesn't get to where they were without Jason Bean because when Jalen Daniels goes down, there is nothing like having a kid like that ready to come in and lead your team. You know, I thought the the offensive line. You know, they struggled in the run game. You know, there were some adjustments they had to make with guys with Cable due out and Pooney declare opting out of the game. So they had to shift the line around. You know, Devin Neal had to work hard for his yards, but but the offense was was really good, and the defense came up with the stops they needed to at the time to win the game. So, you know, when I just look back on this, Randy, the Kansas program is just in such good shape with Lance Leipold and all the people on the inside and and the coaches from a structure and an organizational standpoint. Kansas football is in such good shape. Now, this spring might test their character a little bit because as they came back from the bowl, they're packing their offices up, and I believe they're all moving to Rock Chalk Park, okay, because with the stadium getting torn down, they've got to have makeshift offices. So this spring and this summer will definitely test their patience a little bit. So it'll be interesting to hear some of the stories. But, but hey, listen, Kansas fans should be very upbeat, and and like the situation that the program is and where it's moving. Because, I mean, listen, next year you're looking at a team that's possibly going to be sitting in the top 25 or right on the edge to start the season. It is so, so nice and, and almost surreal, really, to hear you talk about how the program is in such a great place and and all the things that are moving forward. I mean, who would have ever expected that this early in Lance Leipold's tenure, we would be talking about a nine-win season, a bowl win, bowl games in back-to-back consecutive years, recruiting on a major upswing, and a stadium rebuild. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely unbelievable right now. You know, we are really at the edge of the second season of college football, which is recruiting and, and portal Talk about the portal and everything going on with it. But the hottest topic right now is, without question, NIL and how it is reshaping the college sports landscape. We've got a great guest joining us in midwinter, one of the best in the business on NIL. I'm going to turn it over to the studio line right now where Kirby is joined by our buddy midwinter. We are joined by Mitt Winter, who is an attorney at Kenny Hertz Perry, and his focus is NIL, college sports law, sports business. He understands the NIL game about as anybody, as well as anybody that I follow. And hey, he's a former basketball player at William & Mary. So, hey, Mitt, how you doing? Doing good, John. Thanks for uh, having me on to talk about NIL. Absolutely. I know before... Um, before you and I started this up, you know, for people out there listening, uh, you know, you're from Topeka and you, you live in the Kansas City area. So it's kind of cool having a guy that, that that's looked at in the NIL industry, somebody local. So uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to talk. All right. So I, I want to start with this and I want to go with the basics 
for the people who are out there that are that are listening that maybe might not even understand the gist of NIL, just describe what NIL is. Yeah, so NIL, a lot of people might not even know what that acronym stands for. It stands for Name, Image, and Likeness. And when people use that acronym, they're generally referring to college athletes being able to be compensated for the use of their name, image, and likeness. So before July 1 of 2021, college athletes could not be compensated for the use of their name, image, and likeness. After July 1, 2021, some state laws were about to go into effect, so the NCAA changed its rules and said third parties are now allowed to compensate college athletes for the use of their name, image, and likeness. Athletes, you're able to be compensated for the use of your name, image, and likeness. It's not going to affect your uh, college athletics eligibility. Um, And they're allowed to be compensated by third parties. So schools cannot be the ones that are paying the athletes for the use of their name, image, and likeness. So a general name, image, and likeness deal for a college athlete would be a business Um, Let's take a KU athlete, for example. If there's a local business in Lawrence that wants to have a KU basketball player promote or endorse their business, they can enter enter into an agreement with that athlete and pay him however much money uh, they deem reasonable to uh, have that athlete endorse their business. And that's, that's a business transaction between the athlete and the third party. So at a base level, that's what NIL is. Um, as you're probably going to ask me next, things have you know, gone beyond just businesses and athletes into some other avenues of athletes being compensated for their NIL. All right. So when you say that, you know, I always think of, and I'll use – Hunter Dickinson or, or Devin Neal or Jalen Daniels at KU as an example. I think of the car dealership down the street saying, hey, we want them on our commercial. We're going to bring them in and and have the shoot the commercial and then pay them. I, I'm curious, has this has NIL worked out the way you expected when it began? Um, it, it has in one sense, but it's also gone beyond what, what I and most other people who were paying close attention to it expected. So there there are definitely lots of deals between college athletes and businesses for the use of the college athletes NIL um, generally to promote that, that business. And so a lot of that happens via social media posts. So a business might pay an athlete to promote their business on Twitter or on Instagram or TikTok, whatever it is, the athlete records, video like hey you know i love chipotle or whatever it is go go check out chipotle um so that stuff is definitely happening but where most of the nil dollars are flowing to college athletes are through things called nil collectives and i don't think a lot of people envisioned nil uh most of the compensation going to athletes through these nil collectives i always thought that there would be boosters or supporters of a university that already had a business 
and they would, you know, be more apt to enter into a deal with certain athletes because they wanted to support that program. But quickly after NIL compensation was allowed for college athletes, these new businesses called NIL collectives formed, which they're still third-party businesses, um, generally started by a booster uh, or a supporter of a university. They form generally an LLC, sometimes a nonprofit, and they pool donor money into this new legal entity. And then this new legal entity goes out and signs NIL agreements with the athletes. So right now, about 80% of NIL dollars are flowing to college athletes via NIL collectives. So that leaves about 20% of your traditional business-type deal that we discussed. So I don't think people were envisioning that these new third-party businesses now known as NIL collectives would form and the vast majority of NIL money would flow to athletes that way. Okay, so on the NIL when you talk about the collectives that most of that money, if I understand this and I, and I pay pretty close attention, I know you and I have exchanged several text messages and conversations over time is the NIL collective. Is that mainly money that sits there through donors or maybe a company sponsorship? It's a combination of both, but I would say right now, most of the money that's in an NIL collective is coming from donors. Um, some collectives are doing better than others of going out into the local community or even the national community and finding businesses that might want to partner with the athletes that the collective already has agreements with at a specific school. Um, so there is some of that business money flowing into the collective. Then the collective uses that money to pay the athletes via the contracts it has with the athletes. But most of the money, um, that's being held within collectives is coming from donors. I can't tell you what that percentage is. And it's going to, like I said, it's going to vary from collective to collective. Um, but definitely over you know 50% and probably much higher at most places of, of money being held by collectives is just coming in from donors who want to support uh, their, their school, um, whether that's a specific team or just the athletics program in general. Um, people know that NIL collectives and the amount of money the collective has and the compensation that they can offer to athletes out of school is now a very big part of recruiting. All right, so I've, I've seen, I think may, maybe next week, I can't remember when this is, but there are some proposals being changed through the NCAA, and I was just wanting to know if you could talk about that and just maybe where that could go. Yeah. So the new NCA president, Charlie Baker, uh, about a month ago now, he introduced, I wouldn't say introduced, he threw out this proposal via a letter that caught a lot of people off guard. And under his proposal, schools would be able to directly compensate their athletes for the use of their name, image, and likeness which is not currently allowed, as, as I mentioned, only third parties are allowed to compensate athletes for use of their NIL, not the schools directly. So his proposal would allow schools to directly pay the athletes for use of their NIL. It would also establish um, trust funds that schools would be able to pay money into 
and then use the money in the, the trust funds to pay athletes. Uh, under his proposal, you know, it says the money is to be used for educationally related type of things. Um, but he has later clarified that that money could really be paid to the athletes for anything and they could use it for anything as well. In addition, his proposal, the third component, would create a new subdivision of Division One. And if you decide you want to opt in to this new subdivision of Division One, you're agreeing that you're going to put at least $30,000 for half of your athletes per year into this trust fund. Um, so you're, you're basically committing to putting in a base level of money into this trust fund. If you don't opt, opt into this new subdivision, you can put money in the trust fund, but you don't have to. So it has those three components. And obviously a big one is the schools being allowed to directly compensate their athletes for use of their NIL. Interesting. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you too is, is just the sustainability of this where, where every year, you know, whether it's your athletic department, who's going to the donor saying, you know, we need your help giving money to the collective or the collective reaching out to the donors just how sustainable is it to, to every year that you're going to your donors asking for money to put in this? And then what are some ways you think this could all work better? Yeah, that's definitely an issue. I, you know, I, I work with a lot of collectives. I work with a lot of schools um, on NIL stuff and, you know, donor fatigue um, is definitely something that they all talk about and are concerned about uh, because there is, generally in most places a, a finite pool of money because you know the school still needs donor funds to do the things it wants to do like for example at KU build the new football stadium um, and, and build other athletics facilities and pay for scholarships they still need donor money for those things well now you add on uh, needing donor money for NIL as well and I think some schools are feeling a little you know or the donor bases, I would say, are feeling a little, a little stretched thin. Then you also have the issue of if someone gives to an NIL collective and maybe the team doesn't experience the kind of success that they were expecting, is that donor really going to give to the NIL collective again next year? It's kind of, kind of uncertain. You know, NIL is still a very new thing. It's been around less than, than three years now. Um, in terms of where where things might head um i think a lot of schools now kind of to address that donor fatigue point are trying to figure out ways to allow the institution to get more involved in in nil and maybe even using institutional funds um, for nil in some manner uh, so i think that's a, a big thing a lot of them are trying to think about and and figure out uh, because that would kind of eliminate that donor fatigue issue of having to give to the school and having to give to the collective. They'd maybe just be able to give to the school and then the school can kind of figure out what's the best use of these donor dollars that we have, which Charlie Baker's proposal, you know, is similar to that, which would allow schools to directly pay NIL money to their athletes. Um, so I, I think that's one, one thing that we're going to see in the future is more school involvement in NIL, whether that gets all the way to the schools paying athletes for their NIL or whether that's allowing schools to be more involved in going out 
and helping them their athletes facilitate deals with third parties and do maybe some group licensing deals that also involve schools trademarks um so i think that's that's what we'll see is more school involvement in some capacity you know mid i wanted to wrap up you've you're connected with a lot of nil and and like i said when i brought you in i think you're one of the the best follows on twitter for this um as you look at collectives and you work with people how do you view how do you view nil's collective how it's run and how it's operated on a national scale yeah um ku has great nil resources and support for its athletes um it has the collective the official collective uh mass strategies otherwise known as mass street um i i represent that collective and so they they do a great job um of working with with KU's athletes in terms of the types of deals they help them facilitate and just operating the collective and everything that goes into that. And then internally, um, KU has a lot of resources for its athletes as well. Um, they have employees working in athletics whose sole job is just to focus on NIL and educating athletes about NIL and helping them deal with all the other issues that go along with NIL um, and then they also have some outside resources that, that are third parties that they work with that help them navigate NIL as well. So in my opinion, KU has an NIL setup and program that's as good as, as any other school out there. Well, that's great information. That is Mitt Winter. He is one of the best on this subject. Go follow him on Twitter, and I know I've referred to him a lot on our, our site Hey, Mitt, thank you very much for joining us, and I hope to have you on in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me on, John. We'd be happy to come on again anytime. That was really good stuff from Mitt Winter. John, I know we've talked a lot about the portal and and the craziness that NIL has created and just kind of added to everything. Get us caught up with your thoughts and how things have been going for the KU staff, because I know they have spots to fill when looking to the portal and towards the next season. Yeah, Randy, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, I just put a post up on the board that kind of gives the latest and, you know, it's, we're going to have to monitor this over the next week. Cause it's kind of a touch and go situation, but they just had Ryan Smith in who's a defensive end from Duke. And mm-hmm. when his visit started, I think the thought was it's going to be KU or Michigan state. All right. Well, when he was on the visit, at Kansas, the Michigan State visit disappeared. So that's not going to happen. So then you're thinking, all right, that's good news for the Jayhawks. Because Ryan Smith's kind of I, – I I think he's very similar to um, Lonnie Phelps, okay? He's Interesting. About okay. Six, he's about 6'2", maybe a little lighter than Phelps. He's about 6'2", 235. But he's, a, he's an off the edge. He's a pass rush guy. So – you know, Lonnie Phelps, I, I want to say I got to look him up, but I think his measurements at the NFL was six foot two, 245 pounds. So, you know, Smith and him body wise aren't much difference. And Smith is a pass rush guy. He played like 230 snaps at Duke and more of it was pass rush situations. But let me tell you what changed. Duke hired Manny Diaz as their head coach. Well, Diaz has retained the defensive ends, defensive line coach that Ryan Smith is pretty close to. So now Duke is putting on a full court press to get him to return. So a day oh, ago, wow. a day ago, I would have told you 
it's Kansas and Michigan State for him. Now I'm going to tell you, it's Kansas or Duke. So, you know, that's the concern. Hey, he's already in Durham. He's already settled into Duke. That's where he is. So, you know, right now I think it's like a toss-up. I think it's 50-50, so we'll have to wait and see there. And then another D-lineman, more of an interior guy, Javier Derrett, who played his Saint, his high school ball at St. Thomas Aquinas in Overland Park. Yeah. Yeah, he went to North Dakota State, and then he went in the portal. So he visited Kansas. It was a one-day trip because he's trying to sneak in three visits before the dead period. So he flew out to California after his Kansas visit. He's going to see Cal. He's going to see USC. Now, you know, one of the kickers here is, USC just hired the head coach at North Dakota State who he played for. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be a tough battle. So those are really right now, in terms of the portal, the only two names on the board. I've asked around. I've done some digging. I just don't know if there's going to be any more visits this weekend. Then on Sunday, the recruiting visits go dead until next weekend. So next weekend is it before classes start at KU. So, I mean, you've got like five to six spots to fill for the staff. And depending on what happened with Smith and Derrett here, things could go either way. I'm I'm not ready to say they're going to get either one, and I'm not ready to say they're going to lose either one. But if you don't get Smith and Derrett, you're sitting there now with five to six spots to fill with one week to do it. So they oh, could, gosh. Yeah, yeah. They could just – not one week, one weekend to do it. So – this could be a deal that they just go, hey, we're not at a point where there's anybody we like. We'll just maybe have to take this into the spring recruiting season. The mm-hmm. The problem with that, and I've always said this, is you don't know what the spring recruiting season is going to bring. It's It's not nearly as loaded as this early period. And a lot of times that you have the guys going in your spring portal are the guys who realized maybe they got beat out for their position or they're not sure they're going to crack the two deep. So, I mean, sometimes the spring recruiting season for the portal gets a little tough. So, you know, there, there's definitely some work to do still. But on the flip side, they've, they've got a few nice additions that they're going to bring in. Uh, Dylan Wudke's a a defensive end from Youngstown State. He's kind of a combo defensive end, what I would call him. You know, he he can rush the passer, but he's going to be, you know, 260 pounds. So he can he's physical, he can play the run. He's probably more closer to a Jeremy Robinson, in my opinion. And then there's Devin Dye from Utah State. You know, we've talked about him several times with his brother Jalen in the program, and his his father is Jermaine Dye, who played with the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I just think that, I don't know that Kansas was the school to beat, but they convinced him to take a late visit there, and he came in, and I, I think the family likes the program, and I think Jalen's done well in the program and likes how it's run. And they ended up uh, you know, committing to Kansas. You know, He had Utah, Kansas State, and KU were kind of his final three, so that's a nice pickup. I think one of the things it came down to is maybe convincing the family that they can play different safety positions. I don't know that the two brothers wanted to be stuck in the same position competing against each other for the starting job. But, you know, the way KU uses their safeties, they can move them around to where they're not exactly the same position. And then there's Deshaun Hanneke, a tight end, who's originally from Topeka. He went to Iowa State, tall, athletic kid. He was the first one to commit, and things worked out well for him because he's a local kid, wanted to stay 
near home, near family. Uh, his fiance is close by. So th- those are three good pickups. But like I said, man, there's still a lot of work to do. You know, you were talking about the height comparison between Smith and Lonnie Phelps. I pulled up Lonnie Phelps's measurements from the from the NFL Combine. He checked in at 6'2", 244. Okay. See, and, and see, I've stood next to Phelps, and I – I would tell you, it's pretty crazy when you stand next to some of these guys because you go, God, you know, this guy, if you're walking down the mall and you looked at a guy, you go, God, is that, a, is that an NFL DN? And, and Lonnie Phelps was crazy explosive off the edge. Mm-hmm. When, when you stood next to Lonnie Phelps, you didn't sit here and say, man, he's a tall drink of water. He, he's not like Austin Booker, right? Where, where you stand next to Austin Booker and you're like, man, and you know, this guy is. is legit six, five, six, six, and he's got long arms and he's got that frame. So I just use that comparison with, with Smith and, and him. I, along those lines, let me ask you this, then the, the physical comparisons between the two of them from a height and weight standpoint are, are obviously they're, they're there for sure. Does he have, you mentioned the quickness that Lonnie brought, does he have that kind of, of movement coming off the edge? And, and, and is he somebody that can do some of the things that, that Lonnie did that really helped elevate a defense that was, that struggled, but gave them some pass rush ability last year? Yeah, I think he does. Now, I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of his film, okay, because there's mm-hmm. not a lot out there. So I went and of looked course. at his pro football focus scores. And, and you know, I did watch some of his high school film where he was really a linebacker and, and showed some mm-hmm. athleticism. So, you know, I, I think he would be a guy that they need because, listen, you lose Hatcher, you lose Joyner, you lose Austin Ugh. Booker. Now, all oh, of a yeah. sudden, you are in a major pinch to find someone who can get after the passer. Now, you've got some guys coming in, okay? Dak Brinkley, Warner coming in. They have high ceilings. But even to take talented kids like that and throw them out on a field against Big 12 O-linemen as true freshmen, you you go look at a lot of true freshman DNs, there's a lot of them that ended up being really good players, but they weren't their true freshman seasons because oh, you've, no you've got to get bigger, stronger, faster, even if you're really good coming out of high school. And then all of a sudden, like when I talked to when I, Deshaun Warner, we had him on video the other day down at the All-American Bowl. He mm-hmm. said one of the things he's got to do is enhance his game. That's one of the things he's going to work on because in high school, Deshaun Warner was just able to loop around the edge and get to quarterbacks because he's just way faster than that kid in high school who's trying to guard him. Well, now yep. you move to the Big 12, and all of a sudden you've got some 6'6", 300-pound guy on the edge who's strong, who's been in a weight program, who's got good feet. Now he's, uh-huh. lock, he's locking you up, okay, because he's played against good defensive ends. So my point is, is a true freshman coming in to play right away as a defensive end, there is a, there's a learning curve. No doubt. No doubt. You know, there's a topic that I also wanted to cover while we've got a few minutes. The last two seasons, Lance Leipold's name has been thrown out and linked to just a myriad of different coaching openings. And people have talked about this. We've had a many, many posts and conversations on the boards about it. I know there's there's talk and people wondering that if Jim Harbaugh, moves on to the NFL. There are a lot of things, you know, people are seeing linking them to the Raiders, to different organizations. If he were to make that move and 
does that open up? Does does that create an opportunity where Michigan would actually look at Lance Leipold? I know Bruce Feldman has said that he would be a candidate. What do you think? Yeah, Randy, you know, on this topic, I, I tell people this all the time. There's nothing really you can do, okay? It, it's going to develop and it's going to be what it is. Just get used to this, all right? I mean, I, I know fans have. It, it, sometimes it reminds me a little bit. I remember when I started following KU football quite a bit uh, when Glenn Mason was at KU. Mm-hmm. And Glenn started winning at KU, and his name was on every – and this is back before social media, and that's this is back before – Word of mouth got out like it did. Glenn Mason was always mentioned for openings because he was turning Kansas around. Okay, that's no different now with than what Lance Leipold's doing. His name of what he's accomplished at Kansas is always going to be thrown on lists. Now, whether that's accurate or not, who knows? But it's a sexy thing to do for the national writers. You know, those guys are always talking to agents and they're, you know, they're, they're talking sometimes to people involved in the search. So sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. But, you know, I know Kansas right now is, is working on more things they can to, to keep him at KU and lock him down. I know Travis Goff's working hard on that and things have been in motion. But, hey, when you're when you win – like he has in his first three years at Kansas, you're just a guy who's going to automatically appear on all these job openings. But, you know, I know he likes it in Lawrence. You know, his son's going to be a senior, good little football player at Free State. Mm-hmm. I, I, I see Kelly, his wife, she's always around, very supportive. I've heard they like it in Lawrence. So I just tell everybody on this, man, enjoy what the KU program is doing. Enjoy where they've gone. Have fun watching them. I mean, it's it, it's good going to the stadium every week, knowing that KU's got a fighting chance to win almost every game they're in. It's a feeling Kansas fans haven't had in a long time. So enjoy it, and and I think Lance Leipold likes it in Lawrence. That's the final word, and that will do it for another edition of the Inside Slant podcast, our first edition of the new year in 2024. Believe it or not, spring football is less than two months away from getting started, and we will have a ton to talk about between now and then. Obviously, conference basketball slate kicks off this weekend. It's it's a great time to be a Kansas fan. Like you said, don't worry about what could happen. Enjoy what we have in front of us. The fact that we have seen this football program elevated to levels that some of us weren't sure we would ever see again in just three years time that we have the premier men's basketball coach in the entire country and are have already staked our claim to being one of the best programs in the nation again this year it's a great time to be happy let's be happy kansas fans for my man shay wildeboer for my man john kirby I'm Randy Withers. You've been listening to the Inside Slant podcast from JayhawkSlant.com. We will talk with you again soon. This has been a podcast from JayhawkSlant.com.